0: Your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa
1: Senators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto. ...alongside Brandon Piller up in Collingwood... ...and it's another... Sens Central Citizen Saturdays... ...yes, Sean Foisy will join us a little bit later... ...give us the scoop on how he became a Sens fan... ...some great early memories... ...and what's he think of the off-season moves... ...the off-season wasn't done either... ...Michael Haley... ...just what the doctor ordered for this Senators organization... (laughs) ...a one-year deal... 2 way contract... ...we'll get Pillsy's take on that... ...and more... ...this is the Locked On Senators Podcast... Your team, every day. Today is Saturday, November 14th, in Pilsy, why?
0: Why? Why? Why, okay. Well, look, if people are confused as to why the Ottawa Senators signed Michael Haley to a one-year, two-way deal, paying him a lot of money in Belleville, I think you can figure this out pretty quickly. This, this is strictly a protect the investments move. And I think it's important that he got big money in the AHL uh, part of the contract because I don't think this is a guy you're – like he's not going to be Scott Saverin, the extra guy in the NHL. I think you've got Austin Watson. You've got Eric Branson. Like, you've got toughness up there. So I think this makes a lot of sense for him to be down in Belleville. I, and I think, like, a lot of people are just like, why didn't you just bring Scott Sabrin back? Like, he's playing in the Marlies now. I think they wanted the older, more, like, old-school mentality guy that can also be a mentor for a lot of these young guys in Belleville because he's been through the, a lot of NHL seasons, a lot of AHL seasons. And let's be honest, his, his skill and pace of play is not quite up there to – be in the NHL so stick him on a fourth line in Belleville, and I think he can he can do his role effectively
2: yeah he's 34 years old so he brings that veteran leadership that Scott Sabrin didn't have Sabrin of course a long and winding road to the NHL to finally make his debut in in Ottawa whereas Michael Haley's played 270 NHL games over 11 seasons this guy's been in the trenches he's been in some crazy brawls too the most notable New York Islanders pittsburgh penguins 2011 if you want go look that up that's where brent johnson got involved and a whole lot more in in that tilt there so he's your typical old school enforcer and um i don't need to see him play in ottawa i think he has uh not too many puck skills but hey he's he's an enforcer and and what the heck let's get weird
0: yeah and i mean like it's it's really not a a big deal uh i think People that are upset about this are probably just confused as to why they're the sense to bring in another tough guy. But I think it makes sense. And look, if you're going to get a tough guy or an enforcer, why not get one of the top guys in the league? Like in 2017, 2018, he led the whole NHL in PIMS 212 and major penalties 22. And since 2017, the top three players in major penalties are Michael Haley with 31. Tom Wilson, 24, and Austin Watson with 21. So it's pretty obvious what the Senators are doing here.
2: So what you're saying, Pillsy, is Tom Wilson's going to be an Ottawa Senator by year's end. You love to hear that. Uh, what I do like about those 22 majors, all the fights. You don't want any of that extra garbage, but he's not scared of anyone. 73 NHL fights over those 270 games. And he's been in a lot of different dressing rooms as well. The Islanders, the Rangers the Sharks, and Florida, even having a couple stints. And when you go back to a team that you've already had, you know you've made strong connections within management. So I think that speaks to the character. And for two hundred grand in the AHL, you're getting a half player and you're getting a half assistant coach. You're getting another voice for these young kids. And I think we can chalk it up to that. I don't think we have to fight a whole segment over Michael Haley.
0: No, I don't think so either. And an interesting note with Michael Haley, for a guy, you just heard me rhyme off those stats like he's clearly a fighter. For a guy that's a fighter at 5'11, every single fight, he's at a disadvantage with the reach. Like every time, like almost every other tough guy is at least six feet, if not closer to six foot two, six foot four, even taller and bigger, right? So you got to hand it to this guy like the guts he has, not turning down a challenge when a guy's. Got the reach on him because in hockey fights, reach is so important. You're always grabbing onto each other's jersey. And he's trying to take swings at these guys. Like uh, we tweeted out the fight between Gabranson and Haley. What a tilt, first of all. But Gabranson, he can just, he can just push him away. And Haley's trying to take swings and his arm's not even reaching him. So to have, to have the kind of guts, like that's old school hockey mentality. And why not sprinkle a little bit of that in your young, talented Belleville roster?
2: Here's a, before we get to what the Sens European players are doing right now, here's a quote from Pierre Dorian about Michael Haley. Michael will bring experience, leadership, and added physicality to our organization. He's looking forward to serving as a mentor for our young players. So he's pretty blunt there, right? No, no fluffing this one
0: up. Yeah, I don't think you're going to hear Pierre Dorian talk about Michael Haley's coursey and uh, expected goals rate. Oh, the expected
2: goals. That's exactly what you need to know at an NHL level uh, for a guy like Michael Haley. All right, Pilsy, a couple players before we get to our Sens Central Citizen. Great chat with Sean Foisy. And then after Send Central Citizen, we're going to ask the question, do the Sens have an elite number one center already in the prospect system? Well, is it Rudolf Balsers? Probably not, but he has been playing center in Norway for uh, Stavanger Oilers. We Top line center season. too. Well, where else is he gonna play <laughs> this isn't exactly Belleville quality hockey hey, but he's a number one center yeah can't take that away from him um, but he is uh underway also Robbie Arventi did play yesterday Eels, another win first place in Liga although it was a quiet day for Robbie Arventi but you know that can switch off in an instant for a goal scorer like that he's back in action today and also good news Pilsey. Eric Brandstrom's team is back ready to play after their two-week hiatus due to coronavirus concerns.
0: I was so excited about Eric Branstrom's start. So for him to get back on, on the ice is going to be awesome. And a really interesting move, putting Rudy at center. Like, as far as I know, I don't think he's played center the entire time he's been in the senator's organization.
2: No, I don't think he has. So... There you go. Just shows, shows, yeah, shows a little bit of flexibility, but he's he's obviously the most offensive, talented player on the team. So if he's playing the middle of the ice, it just opens more things up for the rest of the guys, you would think. But I don't know if I'm Pierre Dorian. i probably like, oh, you'd want him getting those extra reps at left wing. But I don't think we're going to, uh, you know, split hairs over where – broody balls is lining up in Norway oh I'll split
0: hairs let's go this is a, this is a big deal
2: this is a hair splitting podcast isn't it wow uh, well we're getting awfully close to 250 days since Ottawa Senators hockey it's actually on Monday so we figured it'd be a treat to have one of the guys who called the game on the show so Jamie McLennan just a program note he'll be joining us on Monday and Tuesday Pilsy we're goalie friendly show he's a goalie hugger that just makes for a
0: great conversation. Oh yeah, the, the goalie talk is is off the rails. So we started
2: and ended with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, obviously, and, and the, sprinkled a bit in the middle too. <laughs> Shocker! And here here's the thing: we before the interview, we were debating whether we're, we were going to ask him about his final game, which we're not going to give too many spoilers away, but it ends in quite a extraordinary way. And Ross decided to throw a little jab at him and uh, and poke. Poke some fun at that last game. And then we ended up getting really into it. I think everyone's going to love that story because it is hilarious that Jamie McLennan still owes the NHL a couple suspended games.
2: Four game suspension uh, and he played 18 seconds in his final game. I'll leave it at that. Time for our Sen Central Citizen of the Week. All right, it's a pleasure to introduce this week's Sen Central Citizen. It's Sean Foyze. You can find him on Twitter at SeanFoyze.com. 73 it doesn't take long to go through your profile to see you already have one of those beautiful black 2d jerseys we'll start with that who do you get on the back there i uh, had to get brady
1: on the back this time was it a hard decision no not at all who who would have been second choice uh probably shabbat but i've got another jersey jersey that's blank so i'll probably put him on that one nice the, the white one there you didn't you uh, didn't want to wait for the reverse retros no, I got a whole plan. I've got the uh, the Winter Classic. I'll get Shabbat on that and then the white one I'll put Stutzla or something.
0: Nice. Yeah, my Stutzla jersey's on the way. I got a black Stutzla one with the Umlat too, so I'm stoked about that. I think I'm going to wait for the reverse retro jerseys. I don't I don't think I'm going to jump on a white one uh, that soon.
1: Yeah, that's understandable.
0: Yeah, so how we usually do send Central Citizen, as I'm sure you know, is we love hearing about how people became a Sens fan. I feel like the Sens team, it's uh, its a bit of a wacky story for most people. So, Sean, let's hear your story. How did you become a Sens fan? And what are some of your earliest memories of being a Sens fan?
1: Yeah, so uh, growing up, I was in a, a house of Leaf fans. So it was definitely, yeah, it was not fun. <laughs> I was definitely pushed into being a Leaf fan at the beginning. But uh, one of my cousins was a Sens fan at the time. So I just thought, oh, I'll check this out. And uh, I'm a bit younger than uh, some of the guys you have on here, so when I checked out the Sens, they were on a playoff run to the finals. So I thought, wow, they're really good. I'll, uh, I'll stick with this. Now you said you were growing up in a family of
2: Leaf fans. Was that in enemy territory, or were you in, in Ottawa with a bunch of Leaf fans?
1: No, enemy territory.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I, I'm actually surprised how many Sens fans are are behind enemy lines here in Toronto. So that's uh, that's awesome that you stuck with it throughout and who was the guy Was it the spezza Heatley Alfredson line that really got you attached to the team?
1: Well it was definitely Spezza for sure and it's because uh, my dad used to get tickets to leaf games from his boss so uh, going to a leaf game uh, once uh, I ended up getting like high fives from a bunch of players and I remember like Spezza specifically I got a high five from him and it was like just the coolest moment when I was like 10. And I remember also Chris Neal was, uh, was the guy who flipped me a puck.
0: Nice. Yeah, Neal are always good for the fans. How do you feel about Spezza in a Leafs jersey? It still makes me uh, a little sick to my stomach. Traitor. <laughs> <laughs> hey, as as long as he comes back, I everyone talks about it, that Spezza's got a great hockey mind. I can see him coming back as an assistant GM or something. I think that'd be awesome.
2: Man, imagine you get a situation where Alfie's somehow in management. You got Spezza there. You, somebody would have to go find Heatley and be like, yo, what are you doing? I don't
0: know what, what management position do you give the heater though? I don't know.
2: (laughs) But man, talk about that shot and those early years you're in Toronto and that would be like 05, 06, 07, you said on the way to the 07 cup final run, you said you went to a couple of games Were they complete blowouts because back then Ottawa was dominating every time they went into the ACC.
1: Yeah, funny you say that. Must have missed all of those games because the first two Sens games I went to, uh, the Sens lost 5 nothing, and wow. then 5-1. So oh.
2: an aggregate score of 10-1 over your first two games. Oh, that yeah. would almost be enough to, to start pulling at the strings.
1: Like, is this worth it? But you stuck <laughs> through it. Oh, yeah. The only goal in those two games, Jason Spencer. <laughs> Just, that was for you, that goal. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, an empty net, or not an empty netter, because it was 5 nothing at the time, but last minute. Yeah,
2: just a complete, like, garbage time goal. No no, uh, in implication on the final score there. Yeah, for sure. So, moving ahead to the team nowadays, what are, is your feeling? I know that it would be hard not to improve when you finish in 30th place, the way they did last year. But well, which one have, has been your favorite
1: move of Pierre Dorian's offseason? I think the Murray one's really good, but... Personally, I got to go with Dadinov. I like that they added some, like, goal scoring on the team, and I think that's something that could actually help the, the team compete a bit more this year. How much do you think that's
2: an improvement over Anthony Duclair in that position on right wing?
1: Okay, yeah, now
2: I, that makes sense. Uh, it, it's a bit, I mean. Well, Duclair uh, went, like, the last 22 games, I think he had no goals on a, on a goalie at two empty
1: netters. Yeah, uh, I think – claire has shown glimpses but I think dadnov's a bit more proven in that aspect yeah that's the thing like
0: declare was want it sounds like declare wanted dadnov money but he doesn't have that consistency like he's quietly been an amazing player so I'll take the dadnov over declare upgrade any day of the week
1: it's a bit better than the Duchesne over Turris upgrade
2: oh my god let's talk about your initial reaction to that trade because it was only like a week ago was the three year anniversary of the Duchesne acquisition. Your thoughts of it at the time and coming back from Sweden, did you think this team was on the way to another
1: conference final or beyond? Oh, well, when they were in Sweden, I'm for sure. I mean, they won those two games against Colorado, and I was like, oh, yeah, we're just as good still. Duchesne's gonna be great. But uh, I was definitely nervous when that trade came out uh, yeah, we- as I was for all of the. All of the trades around that time.
2: Yeah, there were a lot of them. Which one? So let's put the Carlson's trade aside because I think it's fair to say when you get Timmy Superstar and the bounty of players and picks, hey, they're not even done. They've got a second rounder next year. You look at all of the other trades. Is there one that stands out where you're like, man, Dorian really did a
1: good job on that one? I think the Mark Stone one's going to work out pretty well. Yeah, you're a Branstrom guy? Yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, you no, know,
2: You know what's cool is that second round pick turned in to Igor Sokolov because it was the 61st overall pick. And I know if, if you listen to him on this show this week and just seeing his career slowly but surely develop, I think that it's way too early to say that that couldn't be a big piece of the trade
1: coming back as well. Oh, I'm super excited for uh, Igor. That was a great interview, and oh yeah, it makes me pumped.
2: Yeah, but Branstrom, let's focus on him. He's over in Switzerland now, finally back able to play after that coronavirus gap. Do you think he has to play in the NHL this upcoming season, or if he does go back to Belleville,
1: is that okay for his development path? I think it's okay, but I also think that maybe getting a shot in the NHL at some point, whether it's due to like injuries or you know a spot opening up, uh, I'd like to see him play up, but I don't think it's a certainty.
2: Yeah, and maybe play away from Ron Hainsey would be would be a bit of a, a bonus for him and get him a, a partner that can play in the NHL at this level.
1: Yeah, put him with Shabbat.
2: oh man that is the absolute nuclear option and uh i i don't know how i feel about that although randstrom's game probably translates best to that right side so from that point of view wouldn't
0: that be tough power play pair like that's pp1 uh defensive pair and man those two would look so good snapping it back to each other on a blue line but eh? there's
2: only one puck
0: Yeah, but on the power play, there's only four other guys, so you get the puck a lot more. You can share it, spread it around.
2: All right, all right, all right. I I see you're going with that.
0: Yeah, so now I want to get – it's a topic we got posed to us today. I want to get your opinion on it, Sean. Do you feel that the Senators have in their system right now a true number one center, or are they going to have to acquire one through trade or free agency eventually to fill that role?
1: I think – timmy superstar will eventually be that number one guy i just don't know how long that will take could be two three years maybe would you start him
2: at center and just let him slowly develop there or do you think that it would fast track
1: him to come in playing the wing i would put him at center right away yeah i hope they do yeah that's that's my idea too like if
0: if he's a center, put him at center. Like, what are we doing here? But, I, I mean, I get, I get the arguments for it. Now, do you, you said you're not sure how long it'll take. Like, where at, – at what point? Like, how long of him playing left wing before you just say, okay, I think we're going to stick him on the wing? Or do you give him one, two, maybe even three years to try to transition to center?
1: I'd probably only give him, like, one year at wing. You've got, you know, the spots open down the middle that yep. you, can, you can slide him over pretty easily. So if after, like, a full year in the NHL, he's not able to move over, then I start thinking maybe he's just a left wing.
0: Yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with that. Like, a lot of people, myself included, think he can be a good center, but an even better winger. Like, I really feel like his game translates to the wing. And, hey, if you have Timmy Superstar lighting it up at left wing, I don't care where he starts on the faceoff dot as long as he's putting the puck in the net.
1: He's going to be electric no matter where he is on the ice.
2: One guy who's not as certain that is, I want to get you out of here with this one, Sean, because when we discuss coming up who we feel are the elite center possibilities, we just breeze through Logan Brown. Do you think the ship has sailed that he can develop into a top six centerman?
1: Oh, I think he can. Absolutely. I think he just needs a bit more, uh, uh, some ice time and.
2: A little tender love and care.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly
2: awesome well we appreciate you taking the time with us sean great to get your takes on the Sens off season and awesome to hear that behind enemy lines we got another Sens fan carrying the flag sean foise you can find him on twitter at sean 73 thank you for being a Sens central citizen
1: sean thanks for having me guys it was a huge pleasure
2: remember if you want to be featured as a Sens central citizen just reach out to us at Send Central that's where we got this question from Jared. Jared writes into us, love the show, only been listening for about a month, but you guys have excellent content. Thanks, Jared. I look forward to the next show. Do you either feel that the Sens have a true number one center on the roster in the system
0: or are they still looking pillsy? What do you think? Well, I'm going off the language of this uh, question first and foremost and to, to answer the question simply, we'll, we'll get into it. I'll let you answer, but no, I don't feel that the Ottawa senators have a true number one center in their system. And when they're ready and when they feel they're ready to really contend, like I'm not talking like push for the playoffs. Like I'm talking, you're figuring you're going to get into the playoffs and you want to go far. That's when I feel like they need to acquire a true number one center.
2: Yeah, I agree. I'm looking at the depth chart right now and, albeit we have our depth chart that we have on our lineup is missing Tim Stutzla because we only have guys who are signed and right now he's in the system. So for this question, he would qualify if we do see him as a center. But when I look at the depth chart, like Colin White, no. Chris Tierney, no. Those are two nice middle six pieces. Artem Anisimov is there as a contract mentor type, a placeholder, if you will. And then you get into two intriguing names, and that's Logan Brown and Josh Norris. Of the two, Josh Norris proved last year, AHL Rookie of the Year, 30-goal scorer. He's a guy that, listen to Joey Decor, he says the best wrist shot he's ever seen. So that says a lot about what Josh Norris can bring. And when he got drafted, that offensive upside wasn't the selling feature, right? It was the two-way game. So you know that in the NHL level, he'll be able to play in his own zone if he can translate that shot and add a little more offensive awareness, I think Josh Norris could be a guy that has a first line potential. But my question to you, Pillsy, is there a difference between first line potential
0: and elite potential? Definitely. And here's the thing like, Josh Norris, for him to come out and in his first season, like have, have an explosive season like that and win rookie of the year in the AHL. That is massive to your development. Like, like he basically took three steps in one year, let's be honest, because he had to do this with and without Drake Batherson, and he, he was the best in the league. Like that's that's incredible. But for me, Josh Norris projects as a really good number two centerman. And I think there's only a couple of reasons why. Um, it's, and it's, it's personal bias, right? Like for me, I want my number one centerman to have a little more size, so that he can be stronger on the puck and the face-off and uh, go up against those bigger top-pair defensemen. And a little more two-way game. Like Josh Norris definitely is a two-way player, but when, when you have that lack of uh, like big size and strength, it's harder to be a two-way guy. And Josh Norris is so good offensively. I think you could stick him on a second line with two really talented wingers, and they could really do a lot of damage against a weaker uh, opponents and other D-pairs. D
2: I think talking about Josh Norris is a really interesting one to lead into the Tim Stutzla discussion because they're two players where they would be playing kind of a flipped role. Tim Stutzla is a pass first playmaking wherever he is. That's why it's such an interesting question to have him on the wing because it opens up a little bit more for your centerman. And in this case, Josh Norris is a shoot first center 31 goals tells you the story on that. So it would be, Kind of a a Freaky Friday situation, but at the same time, it would work really well, I think, if Stutzla started on Josh Norris's wing. Now, do I think Josh Norris is ready to play every night in the NHL? Training camp will tell that story, but man, I think that that would be interesting in itself. Long term, is Tim Stutzla going to play on the wing or center? I mean, that's probably question number one. Whenever we get training camp, we're going to have a show dedicated to the burning questions going in and we might even have one for each player going into camp. But Tim Stutzla's will be number one, the most intriguing person at Sens training camp. So where's he going to start, Pilsy? I mean, maybe not start, but where's he going to end up? Because Doria, I think he hinted, he sees him on the wing
0: to start. Definitely. I think you hit it perfectly there. The biggest question mark of uh, this posed question, do the Sens have a true number one center, is Timmy Stutzla? And this is why I said no, because in my mind, the purpose of the third overall pick of that draft was to acquire a true number one center. And I don't like, like we're having discussions, is Stutzler going to be a center or a left wing? Dorian said he's going to start him on the wing and transition to center. He played center growing up in Mannheim's system, but in the DEL, he's mostly played left wing from what I know. I want him to play center and only center if that's why he was drafted, if that's the idea there. But a lot of people in the industry and we've had those people on our show you can listen um, to their interviews i would say specifically will scout and rachel dory think that he's going to be more effective on the wing like a lot of people say tim stutzla is has the potential to be a good centerman but a great winger and that's how i feel i think if you like just l- watch a timmy stutzla highlight reel and the offensive abilities and his puck handling and his passing and playmaking is off the charts. So why bother having him focus on a two-way game and trying to win face-offs and all these other things when he excels so much at things that wingers do? I think he, we're, we're going to see the Timmy Stutzl experiment. He's going to start on the wing, then he's going to transition to center. I think it's going to be quite apparent that he's going to be better at the wing. And I, I think he has more value on the wing than he does at center. So when the Senators are ready to contend, I think they need to keep him on the wing and then find a true number one center. Like, was there any talks about Byfield moving to the wing? No, not at all. That's a true number one center. Whereas Timmy Stutzla, you got some question marks there.
2: Yeah, but Tim Stutzla was playing against men, whereas Quentin Byfield, yeah, if you're six four and, and play in the middle of the ice, I guess, if you're Tim Stutzla, I should say, because Quentin Byfield's going to be his size wherever he plays. But if Tim Stutzla's playing the OHL, He's playing in the middle of the ice. And the counter argument to your point is that Tim Stutzel's best hockey this year was at the World Juniors where he played the middle of the ice. So second half of the season caught up to him a little bit, as you'd expect. 18-year-old player in a men's league. Still almost a point per game playing on the wing. So many more assists than goals. 27 assists, only seven goals in those 41 games. But man, I think he's going to be intriguing wherever he ends up. The last one I want to bring up, Pilsey, and this one, Could be the most surprising, at least at the draft. It was like, oh, third line upside. But Shane Pinto won Rookie of the Year in the NCHC. And he had 28 points in 33 games. And you talk about a two-way game, albeit, again, on a really good team. Plus 19, 46 penalty minutes, mixes it up as well. Amazing on face-offs. And really had a coming-out party at the World Juniors as well with seven points in five games, leading that U.S. team with four goals on his way there. Where does the Pinto fit into all this?
0: Yeah, and look, you make a lot of good points. Like you pretty much hit on my checklist of things that I look for in a true number 1 center and Pinto's got them. I think for me I'm not ready to declare him there quite yet. We haven't seen enough of him, but I'm certain he can be sure. at least a middle a middle six center in the NHL.
2: You know what's really interesting about Pinto and there's a great article in the Athletic that Haley Salvian wrote after his uh, second season at uh, UND or sorry, before he said he was going into a second season. Yes, last year he was a freshman, hence Rookie of the Year in the NCHC. He's only been playing competitive hockey since he was 14. Like this guy, his his parents both played baseball. His sister played softball. He thought he was going to be a Philadelphia Philly shortstop. And then Sidney Crosby, near his hometown, won the Cup in 2016. And he said, man, I think I could do that. And he had a bit of a growth spurt. He's up at 6'3 right now. I think he is going to be so much fun to watch. Hey, he's, uh, we're not the only ones who are excited to watch him either, Pilsy. Again, we tweeted out at Send Central a list that Ryan Kennedy put together at the Hockey News. And they have Shane Pinto as the fifth most exciting player to watch this college hockey season. Do you think that he was the top senator on that list?
0: No, Jake Sanderson.
2: Correct. So it went Jake Sanderson at three, Jacob Bernard Docker at 14, Johnny Tyconic at 45, Yakov Novak at 48, Tyler Clevin, 63, and thank God they didn't forget Angus Cruikshank, the best name on the entire list. He's going into his junior season, expect a huge year on maybe not the best team, whereas the Sens are spoiled. Because the Nodak Fighting Senators are the number one ranked team in the country. And four guys on this list are going there. So get that NCHC package. You know we will. And we're going to be there every step of the way to break it down for you. That season starts in about two weeks. But we'll be back on Monday. Taking tomorrow off. Jamie McLennan Monday and Tuesday. And then stay tuned for the rest of the week. For Brandon Pillar, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast. Your team every day.